so for the people that are listening on the recording, we had some chaos. We're in Mark 16, looking at the end of the gospel, and there are three different endings. So, which one is right? Well, we have to talk about this. So, textual criticism, all right, uh, I'm going to explain it and then try to give you a definition. You have the version of Mark that Mark actually wrote, all right? And this we refer to as the autograph. Auto literally means hand, and graph means writing. So it is what was written by the hand of Mark. That is the original version of Mark. Do we have that? No. The no. answer is no. Because, um, you know, the, the, the Gospel of Mark was written 2,000-ish years ago. And so over time, the piece of parchment that he wrote that on, the ink is going to fade, it's going to become brittle, uh, it's going to, to start to crack and break. Uh, so how do we have the Gospel of Mark today? People copied it. People copied it. So uh, Mark wrote his Gospel to the church in Rome. All right? So uh, it, went, um, it went to the church at Rome. And the people in the church of Rome probably thought, man, this thing is really, really good. So we need to send it to others as well. Yes? Oh, thank you. Uh, we need to send it off to others as well. And so they're going to make maybe some copies to keep for themselves. They're maybe going to make some copies to send to the church in Ephesus. Uh, they'll, maybe they make a copy to send uh, to, the, to the church in Jerusalem. We don't know who they're sending it to, but copies are made. All right? And then um, different churches receive these different copies, and what are those churches going to do? We're going to make copies, all right? Man, we really think that our pastors should, should each have a copy of this, and, and then we'll, we'll send one off as well uh, to another church over here, and, and, and we need to make some copies of this, and, 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 and we need to make some copies of this, and so on and so forth. Copies of copies of copies. Anybody know what these copies are called? Manuscripts. Manuscripts. All right, so all of these copies are manuscripts. Now, over time, if, if I stood up here and I took, let's say I had Mark in front of me, all right, and I said, all of you get out paper, and we are all going to spend the next week hand copying the Gospel of Mark. That actually might be a good exercise to do at some point. Maybe we should do that at some point. Maybe like Jude or something. Um, yeah, maybe maybe something shorter, like a, like one of Paul's letters or something. But we may we may do that next semester. That's a that's actually a good idea. There are several reasons that could be a good exercise. So let's say that you guys don't have the way that, that these manuscripts would be made is you know um, all right here we are I've got this manuscript in front of me and I've got three copiers I'm going to take it and I'm going to read it and. Lily, Jackson, and Sophia are going to copy it as I read it to them. What is going to happen along the way, potentially? Miss a couple words. Add a couple words. Maybe miss a few words. Maybe a misspelling thing where they think they hear me say a word. You know, sometimes words sound alike. Maybe I say one word, but they hear a different word, so they misspell it, or maybe they put the wrong word there. Or um, maybe uh, at some point... 
Lily and Jackson are doing a great copying it, and Sophia's lagging behind, so I give her the copy, and she's uh, looking at it and then writing, and looking at it and then writing. Have you ever had something happen where you're trying to look at something and then right over here, look at it, and you skip a line, or there's a word that you're on that also appears down here, and all of a sudden you've skipped like a paragraph, or maybe you put words in a slightly different order. Oh, I skipped two words. Well, I'll just put them at the end of the sentence. That doesn't mess up my grammar too bad. Over time, there are going to be slight variances among these manuscripts. What textual criticism tries to do is it looks at all the manuscripts of Mark that we have, and it criticizes or analyzes them to try to work backwards to figure out what did Mark actually say. So let me show you how this maybe happens. Let's say that all of these manuscripts we, we have, just for the sake of the, the illustration, let's say that we have them, and we're trying to figure out what did Mark say. Um, would you, you, okay, you've got this manuscript right here, and you've got this manuscript right here. Let's say that you had those two. Let's say that this manuscript and this manuscript had a difference. Which one would you think is more reliable? Yeah, the one that was written earlier, because it's closer to the original source, right? This one was copied right off of Mark. This one is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of Mark. Okay, you guys see that? So you want to, in, in textual criticism, there are a few different principles. One of them is you favor earlier manuscripts, the ones that are not copied as often. Now, what about this illustration? All right, we did, we did our first one. What about this one? Um, let's say <coughs> that all of the manuscripts through here, all of these have one reading of Mark, and all of them over here have a different reading of Mark. What has maybe happened there? Everyone in the middle has gotten two different readings out of it. Yeah. Um, we would talk about manuscript families, so we could call this one family A, family B, and family C. Uh, what's true about family A and family B? <coughs> Yeah, they share the same reading. A and B share the same reading. And C is often La La Land. Has something totally different. So if you have something where, all right, let's say that um, the one in, in B, these are ones in Rome. Let's say the ones in A are ones in Jerusalem. And the ones in C are the ones in Ephesus. Um, well, if Rome and Jerusalem agree, and then you have... Uh, you know, Ephesus is just like way out in La La Land having totally different stuff. Who are you probably going to favor? Rome and Jerusalem. Yeah, the Roman Jerusalem ones. These agree. They are taking the same reading. And then you have one family that's just kind of out there crazy. You know, uh, an example of this would be, let's say that I give an instruction about something to do on a test. All right. Uh, hey, guys, I just handed the test out. And... Um, for number seven, just go ahead and put B. I'm giving you guys that one just right off the bat. I don't like that question. Number seven is B. 
And let's say that about 80% of the class hears me say that, and they understand number seven, I should put B. And then the, uh, the other part of the class, you know, 80% does that. The other 20% thought that I said number 17 is B. And they mark it there. All right? Who is probably right, the majority <laughs> or the minority? Majority. Majority. So, in textual criticism, we're going to favor earlier manuscripts. Um, we're also, in some ways, going to favor majorities. All right? Um, we're going to favor some majority reports. Something else that is going to happen as we do text criticism is we're going to see that at times there are hard readings of a text, and at times the same text has a much easier reading. So, um, for example, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has an argument where he says women should wear head coverings in churches because of the angels. And then he doesn't explain that at all. So you have manuscripts that say women should wear head coverings in church because of the angels. Is that a confusing phrase? Is it hard to figure out what Paul's talking about there? How on earth do angels somehow contribute to women needing to wear head coverings in church like that? What is his logic there? What is his argumentation there? We'll get to that later, by the way, and I'll give you my two cents on it. Um, but that is a really, really cryptic phrase. There are other manuscripts of 1 Corinthians that just omit it. They just throw it out. So as you're doing textual criticism, you've got two copies of 1 Corinthians. One has a hard reading and one has an easier reading. And one principle of text criticism, as you're trying to work back to what did it really say, is, this is a little bit odd, but favor hard readings over easy readings. And the reason why is this. Um, if you guys are doing, you guys ever have to write essays for a class and then do peer review with one another? You ever had to do that? If you've got a good person doing peer review with you, helping you make your essay better, are they going to make your essay more or less confusing? Less, less confusing. Whenever these manuscript things happen, there's going to be places where, you know, Paul or Mark or somebody said something obscure, and a really well-meaning scribe, I'm saying he's well-meaning, but he's doing something wrong, well-meaning, you guys know that's true, right? That can happen, well-meaning but wrong. A well-meaning scribe was going to come to something where Paul said something really confusing, and he's going to try to clear it up for you. He's going to come to it, and he's going to say, that's confusing, so maybe we need to scrap it, or maybe I need to add something here to kind of clear it up so that people know what, what, what Paul is talking about. So at, over time, as you get away from the autograph, what's going to happen to a lot of these readings are they, they're going to be smoothed out, they're going to be made easier, and if we're trying to figure out what did the person actually say, you actually favor the harder reader reading over the easier one, because editors don't usually take simple things and make them more obscure, they take obscure things and make them more simple. Um, another thing here that is very important for our study of Mark is that textual criticism usually favors shorter readings over longer ones. Why do you think that's the case? Because it's easier to condense something than to stretch it out if you're editing it. 
Well, if you're editing it. Or, well, not editing, but copying. Yeah, if, if you're copying something, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up here and I'm reading Mark and you guys are copying it. Um, if you value what Mark says, are you going to start just skipping over things? If you value what Mark says, then anything that I'm reading up here, you're going to want to copy down, right? You're going to want to preserve as best as you can what Mark already says. In this copying process, it is much more common to find examples of where people added to it than examples of where people took away. The places where they take away are the confusing things like head coverings for the angels. That happens very few and far between. Usually what happens is that there is an expansion rather than a condition. So usually in textual criticism, we favor short readings over longer ones. So as we look at the Gospel of Mark, we have a short ending right after verse 8. We have a medium ending where it cuts off right after verse 13. And then we have a longer ending that goes all the way through verse 20. And so uh, what you can know about this is that uh, your Bible goes out and, and just goes ahead and tells you that what type of manuscripts usually are missing verses 9 through 20? Earlier ones. And in text criticism, we have to favor what type? Earlier ones. So the best earliest manuscripts of Mark that we have cut off after verse 8. We also, in text criticism, tend to value longer or shorter readings. Shorter. So what has probably happened here at the end of Mark 8 is that there was some really well-meaning scribe that said, wow, that is a really weird way to end a gospel. Like, it just ends with them not telling anything about the resurrection, but Matthew and Luke and John all talk about how they go back and tell the disciples, and Mark is just, like, not having any of that information, and if someone just reads Mark, they might be really confused. So, over time, verses 9 through 13 get added. Over time, verses 14 through 20 get added to kind of give a smoother, easier ending to the gospel. Um, and it's probably not the one that Mark originally wrote. So um, there's another place where we get the double brackets. Look over at John 8. What story do you find in double brackets in John 8? Yeah, uh, this is the one where the woman is uh, brought before Jesus and thrown down and he writes in the dust and says, he who has no sin, throw the first stone. I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. The earliest version of that story that we have is actually plopped right in the middle of Luke's gospel. Where is it in here? Which gospel? John. In our copies of John's gospel, the very earliest uh, copies of John's gospel, it has all the rest of John, but it's missing this story. And whenever the story does start to show up, it kind of moves around a little bit. In fact, if you read John's gospel without this story, it, it actually flows pretty nicely. Now, how should we view this? Well, let me give you a few things to, to consider with this. Number one, the end of John's gospel tells us that John 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not write down everything that Jesus did. You know why they didn't write down everything Jesus did? Yeah, John says there wouldn't be enough room in the world to contain all the things that Jesus said and did. We could write books ad infinium. So we, we haven't done that. I think that the stories that are recorded at the end of Mark and the story of the woman caught in adultery are things that probably actually happened in Jesus' life and ministry. I think they're probably true stories. All right? Um, what the Bibles that you have that have the double bracket... How many of you guys have Bibles that are doing the double bracket? Thing? I don't want the rest of you guys to be super confused. Huh? Mine are italicized. Or do any of yours just like have a footnote even that, that says something about it? Yours has the footnote, Izzy. Yours does too. All right. So all of your Bibles are telling you in one way or another about this, right? Yes. Is anybody's not? Okay, cool. Um, that would be really confusing if like some of your Bibles just like totally skipped all this information. And it's like, who, what is he talking about, right? Uh, so good. All of you guys have it. I think that these stories are probably things that really did happen in Jesus's ministry. They're probably historic. The question that we have to ask is, did John really put the woman caught in adultery here? Did Mark really put the verses 9 through 20 here? Um, If we have a high view of scripture, we want to know what scripture says, right? What else do we want to know if we have a high view of scripture? What scripture doesn't say? So textual criticism, sometimes people hear me talk about this and they think, oh, you're like trying to throw stuff out of the Bible. You must have a low view of the Bible. That's not it at all. I think that if we have a high view of the Bible, we want to do this work and figure out what actually should be there, right? And, and what maybe shouldn't be. Um, I also want to point out to you, so, so number one, this is not a low view of the Bible, criticizing the Bible thing. Number two, uh, these are things that probably did happen. They're just things that Mark and John didn't actually write about and, and want to tell you. Number three, the third thing that I want to point out is uh, where else can you look to find double brackets? We've, we've seen end of Mark. We've seen John 8. Where else? And the answer, boys and girls, is you can't. These are really the only ones. So um, something to know is that whenever we're talking about the New Testament and we're talking about differences in manuscripts like this, if you take all the manuscripts of the New Testament and compare them to one another, you are going to have a 93% similarity rate. Which means that 93% of the time, you take all the copies of John and compare them to one another, or all the copies of Mark and compare them to one another, you go word by word, 93% of the time, every manuscript agrees. Is that high or low? Very high. So here's, here's, the, uh, here's the other thing that I like to do with this. You guys know who Plato is, the ancient Greek philosopher? So we have about 14 copies of um, Plato's major works. And they have like a 65% agreeance. We have like hundreds and thousands of manuscripts of different books of the New Testament, depending on which one you're talking about, and they have a 93 degree per, uh, similarity correspondence agreement. So, which one can we know better, John or Plato? John. John. Uh, you look at the Iliad and the Odyssey written by Homer. Um, you guys know what those books are? Mm-hmm. 
They're not much better than Plato. So the books of the Bible have been very well preserved. But there's the 7% right here where, where the manuscripts are not similar. What about that? Well, um, most of them are spelling. Or, uh, so, so like um, this manuscript right here misspelled the word propitiation and all the rest of them spelled it correctly. So that's a difference. Um, you can tell what the word was supposed to be, but that poor scribe, his eyes were starting to go cross-eyed, and he put the I and the A in the wrong place, and propitiation was misspelled. Uh, sometimes it is the omission of the word the. So the question that you're asking is, uh, were they meaning to say the tent or a tent? Is that really a huge difference? <coughs> not no. Major. Not major. Uh so most of these, like probably a good 5% of these are spelling or an omission of the word the. Um, the, the small, you know, one and a half, two percent are things like the end of Mark's gospel, John chapter eight. And the thing is, your Bibles are telling you right off the bat, people who do text criticism and people who put your Bibles together are pretty well in agreement over how to treat those. Mark 16, 8 through 20 was probably not, uh, or, or 9 through 20, I mean, it was probably not original to Mark's gospel. John seven fifty three through 8, uh, 11 was probably not original to John's gospel. There still may be beneficial stories, but, you know, whenever we get to those, we should have an awareness that uh, probably not actually in those gospels originally. But the rest of it is really unquestioned. It, it, it's, it's in all the manuscripts. Uh, and and even, even these things that are in double brackets, there's a pretty good testimony uh, to, to how we should view them there. Do, do you guys have questions on that? That's a hard concept. Does that make sense? We did see another place um, earlier in Matthew. Uh, I, think, I think Peyton was reading earlier in Matthew, and there was a verse that um, it went like verse 22 to 24 and skipped a verse. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It was in Matthew 17, uh, tw- uh, verse 21 is not there in Matthew 17. Verse 20, he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And then no verse 21, and then verse 22. Um. Another place where you get a little bit of the variance, kind of like what you get at the end of Mark and in John chapter 8, is how many Gospels do we have? Four. Four. And there are about five places in the Gospels where Matthew does not include something that Mark and Luke has, like a saying of Jesus. Um, Or Mark doesn't include something Matthew and, and Luke have, or something like that. And again, a very well-meaning editor, a very well-meaning scribe said, oh, Mark and Luke have that, Matthew doesn't, so we need to add in these few words right here to make Matthew, Mark, and Luke all look alike. Um, As we've seen, though, uh, if you try to do that and you try to harmonize, there are pros to that, but what are the cons to it? Yeah, you lose the specific meanings of the three gospel writers. And so uh, I think that, that doing that sort of harmonization is helpful if you need to know that it can be done. Um, but God gave us four Gospels for a reason. Let's, let's keep it four. You guys have questions on this? Is this something that's like, oh, no, I'm very nervous now? People often have kind of that reaction. 
I feel like it would be understandable to have that kind of reaction if they were entirely different stories that showed up nowhere else in the Gospels. But like for the John thing, that section, that little story, is also in Luke, right? No, what I said was there's one manuscript of Luke. The, the, fir- oh. the earliest place we see that story is it shows up in a manuscript of Luke's Gospel. But in our copies of Luke, it's not there. Because oh. no other copy of Luke has it. Okay. So that's where we've done text criticism and said, hmm, that one manuscript has a weird story inserted that none of our other manuscripts have. So that story of the woman caught in adultery in our Bibles only shows up in John. Okay. Right? And again, I think that um, whenever we get there, I'm going to go over it. I'm going to teach it because it's in the text that we've received. Uh, and I think that it's probably something that likely happened in Jesus's life and ministry. Um, I'm not sure that John actually meant for it to be included where it's at in the gospel. Uh, and your Bibles are telling you that the people who have done this work and who have then put your Bibles together, who, who by the way, are Bible-believing people. It's not people who are trying to attack your faith. All right, it's, it's people who really care about preserving the scriptures because they think it's God's word. They're saying to you, uh, we're not sure about that one. We're not sure that John actually wrote that and, and tried to include it right there. Um, so they're not taking it out. You know, People have read that story and been benefited by it, and, and God can speak through it and, and use it in people's life nonetheless. Uh, so they're not taking it out, but they are saying if you're trying to look at the scriptures, just know that John maybe didn't actually write that. Someone maybe added it in later, right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Textual criticism has a first cousin that is called higher criticism. Higher criticism does actually try to, like, criticize, critique things in the Bible. If you are a text critic, you can be a Bible-believing person. Right. Um, I want to do this and figure out what the gospel authors wrote so that because uh, I value God's word and, and I want to know what it does say and what it doesn't say. Higher criticism is a, a different animal. Higher criticism um, tries to. Um, well, it works a few different ways. There's a few different schools in it. Um, basically, higher criticism is going to say um, like the book of Genesis, um, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 represent two very different traditions that have been stitched together and they contradict. They had two different authors and then an editor tried to synthesize them and didn't do a good job. That would be higher criticism. You stand higher than the Bible, you look down on it, and you feel like it's open to criticism and critique. Textual criticism is we're going to look at all of these manuscripts and we're going to work backwards, we're going to analyze them, we're going to try to figure out what the original said. Um, a really good text critical exercise that I could give students at some point would be I stand up for five minutes and give a lecture and you guys all try to write the things that I say. And then we compare what everybody wrote and we try to figure out what did Mr. Graven actually say. Right? Um, if I did that and I just stood up for, for five minutes and you're trying to scribble down word for word what I said, is there going to be variance among you guys? Yes. yes. We should live would you be able to get a pretty good idea of what I said by comparing each other's notes, though? Yeah, you would. And so um, there's a, a, a pastor in England back in the 1860s. He preached a sermon. Ten people copied the sermon down. There was slight variance. 
uh, I was reading over it uh, this past weekend, and you can get, uh, I mean, looking at the 10 copies, you can get a pretty good idea of what the guy said pretty much word for word. You can work backwards that way. There's a high degree of, of success and accuracy in that discipline. And so um, I just, I, I remember reading through the Bible for the first time and getting to the end of Mark's gospel and seeing those double brackets and seeing that. And it was like, oh, no, uh, that makes me very uncomfortable. And then I got to John and it happened all over again. And then I started realizing that verse 21 in Matthew 17 was missing. And then I realized uh, some stuff in the Old Testament where, where similar stuff is happening. And I'll just be honest, like it really threw me for a loop. It really scared me. And so the reason that I address that with you guys today is I want you to have like an awareness of why that stuff is there. Um, those footnotes in your Bible or those double brackets or those little notes uh, can, can be pretty valuable tools. They can also be very confusing if you don't have someone kind of talk you through them. And so um, I think it's good to take some time and just uh, hash that out. You guys feel good with that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any questions on that stuff? I think that looking at text criticism, if you get into it, um, I've gotten into it a bit, it's helped me have a greater confidence in the scriptures that we have. That's a really high number, especially considering how small those, those differences are. So I think that this is something that, that ought to give us more confidence, not less. Uh, and I always want to try to present it in a way that, that leads to that conclusion. But uh, I know that it's a, a foreign concept to many people. So I heard a guy one time try to uh, preach through John 8 and talk about this uh, in front of the church from a pulpit. And uh, he is a person who, is, I, out of all the people I know, I think that that guy is probably, out of anyone I know, the most committed to the truth of the Bible. And that church was about to, like, kick him out. They were so mad because they misheard 